Hello and welcome to another episode of By the Horns. Today I'm joined by Corneille van Sale to talk about the various aspects of Bitcoin philosophy. We get into why privacy is important, why Nicholas Taleb is wrong about Bitcoin, why memes will help us win the culture war, and why the book Sapiens is based on a false premise. But before we get into that, this episode of By the Horns is brought to you by Bitcoin only. But more about them now. Have you ever tried to import a hardware wallet into South Africa? If you have, then you know it's a slow and expensive process with many hidden costs and risks, like the post office losing a package. But I'd like to tell you about my new company, Bitcoin Only. Bitcoin Only is your one-stop shop for all high-quality Bitcoin hardware wallets in South Africa. We stock Blockstream Jades, cold cards, seed signers, and more. We also offer Bitcoin consultations if you need any advice on your self-custody solution or would like to set up a Bitcoin will so that your family can get hold of your Bitcoin if something unexpected happens to you. Head over to bitcoinonly.io and apply the code BTC at checkout to get a discount on your next purchase. That's bitcoinonly.io, Bitcoin for the sovereign individual. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of By the Horns. Tonight I'm joined by Cornet Pansel, some of you might know him as Vexity from Twitter. Bueno, welcome. Good to have you, man. Thank you very much, Ricky. Appreciate it. Good, man. You survived the wind last week. The great winds of Cape Town of 2023. Yeah, really. Barely, but yeah, I made it. At least I'm not in Freddy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, look. Uh, the wind here is out of control. But you can't, we can't have it all, I guess, in Cape Town, here. Yeah? Um, yeah. The Joburgers have to know when they flee down here that it's not for free. Yeah, it's not, it's not perfect. Pretty close, but not perfect, you know? Yeah, exactly. We might not have the car train, but we've got the wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Kone, I wanted to re- I've been reading your, your blog. For those who haven't read it, Um is a great stream of consciousness on there um, of your view on Bitcoin and society. And uh, I think that what I want to get into today is just discussing a couple of your articles you've written and how oh. that relates. And for any Afrikaans Bitcoiners out there, um, it's great because Kone writes some of his articles and in great Afrikaans, saver. So um, it's really nice to go and read something in your mother tongue um, about Bitcoin because a lot of the content's out there in English. So, Kone, one of the articles I've been reading of yours, um, which I find very interesting, is the article you've written about privacy and why it's so important. And this is something that people kind of take for granted in today's digital age um, where we're just used to having less privacy than what we, we had before. But um, one of the, the points you make in the article you wrote is that Privacy is basically self-defense. It's like your first line of self-defense. Um, and once you've lost it, you don't have that ability to defend yourself anymore. It's like, as you were saying in the article, like if you're going to go into a, a fight with another another boxer, you better have studied that boxer, you know, and and, and the way he fights or else you're going to end up, end up in a hospital. Um, and it's no different with privacy, with Bitcoin or with your money. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on why, why this is so important for us in, in this day and age? Yeah, I, I think um, privacy, especially in, in the sense of, of self-defense, is super important. It's the same reason why when, you have a, when you're in your own home, you do not leave the blinds open. You do not leave, leave the lights on. You don't allow everyone to see exactly what you're doing because anyone can stand outside, basically scope you out, check what you do, figure out how to, how to attack you if they ever wanted to, you know. Um, so privacy is essentially like figuring out what you want to reveal and only only revealing what you want revealed. So while that's important for like today, 
generally is I think we've got a very real sense or, or real um, if, uh, erosion of privacy, essentially, where everything is more uh, surveilled, more controlled, more checked out. And that's especially true for money. If you think about where the power lies for the state and all of that and tax and all of those type of things, privacy is getting eroded very quickly, very fast. I mean, in my own experience, like, I don't know about you, but if you've been to any shop, there's a, a lot of shops just don't accept cash anymore. And the thing about anything digital is it gets tracked and con or you can surveil it, tracked, whether it be a bank or whoever, but it is a data or a record of it on there somewhere. So whenever you are exposing yourself like that, you, you should be aware that you are exposing yourself, you know? Um, and that is where privacy becomes important because you need to figure out or you need to know who, or who knows what and why they know it and try and in that way, hide yourself from being a very easy and open target. Yeah, exactly, man. And, and, and so the war on cash is obviously real. And like you say, like not having financial privacy anymore is, is something that people have kind of gotten used to. But I was in the UK recently. They hardly no one accepts cash anymore. Um, it's all, you know, you're paying with your card, tap and go wherever you go. But with Bitcoin, it becomes slightly different. And, and, and I, my cousin is a banker. Um, he says to me that, you know, Bitcoin is just used by criminals and drug dealers. Um, and why would people need, want to have like digital privacy for their money? And I was like, well, if I go and buy a coffee with my Bitcoin, um, or maybe not a coffee because we use lightning for that, but let's say I'm going to buy something slightly larger with my Bitcoin, a couple of thousand rand. I, because of the nature of the blockchain, I don't want that person seeing how much Bitcoin is sitting in that UTXO that I just paid it with because that UTXO might be large, you know, there could be a few Bitcoin in there. Um, and you would never show your, your net worth to anyone who you're paying via card. Like if you go and pay it, pick and pay with your card, they don't have the ability to look into your bank account and see how much money is sitting in your bank account when you make that payment. So there's like legitimate reasons for having financial privacy. And like I said, it comes back to self-defense because if someone knows how much money you've got, you'd be put a target on your back for robbers, etc. Um, especially living in, in South Africa, obviously. So there's like legitimate reasons for, for having privacy and, I always think that if someone says that you, sh you, you shouldn't have privacy, like that's when alarm bells go off, right? Like that's, you've got to be very wary of people who think that you, if you've got nothing to hide. Yeah. Sorry, man, that's my dog. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of home invaders. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's also a good self-defense mechanism is that shouldn't be private ever, basically. Everyone should know yeah, yeah, the yeah. dog. <clears throat> yep. But yeah, so privacy in Bitcoin. So, so what's your view then on how people attain privacy in Bitcoin? Um, you know, whether do you use any of the tools that are available um, for privacy? Or what yeah, you I, on it? yeah, absolutely, I do. I mean, like privacy, it's it's quite a big discussion, like um, in terms of importance for, like, importance for just not just for you as an individual Bitcoin, but for Bitcoin itself. Um, so I think I use Samurai Wallet, like CoinJoin, all of those type of things. And I think 
one important thing, I think one aspect that people tend to forget about Bitcoin and good money is, is fungibility. Um, and privacy and fungibility kind of walk hand in hand. So to take fungibility a little bit further is to sit, like, if, if I get a hundred rand note, right? Um, I don't know who's ever used it before. It could have been used by a drug dealer. It could have been used to save a life. I don't know what that is, but that's fungible. It's just, that hundred rand is exactly the same as another hundred rand, right? Could have been used for drugs. Yeah, could have been used for drugs directly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but so that hundred rand is exactly the same as another hundred rand. And I don't know uh, who's used it or whatever. And that's great, right? Take my money, my digital money in a bank. That is um, not fungible. Like my ones and zeros is directly uh, related to my ID, my my spending patterns, everything. Um, if I ever am on the wrong side of the law and someone decides you aren't allowed to spend your money anymore, they can stop that money because that money is directly directly uh, related to my uh, ID and I can't do anything about it. Now, the important thing is like, you know, what is the right side of the law? Because maybe I am unlawful in your opinion or the state's opinion, but what if that is an unlawful or a authoritarian state that is um, clamping down on people trying to spend their money for for whatever reason they needed to do? So to take an example in South Africa, for instance, like if you are Afriforum or Sokolicha and you're trying to make a difference in the country, right? At some point, the ANC is going to look terrible and they're going to go, um, actually, no, Afriforum is banned. I don't know exactly what would lead to that situation, but let's say it does happen. And it would be so easy for them to gen essentially cut off the lifeblood of Afriforum, I don't want to say it's lifeblood, but a very important part of the, the business, which is the money to keep that flowing and to keep people paying and to fill bottles as, as simple as that. Like, it's so easy to, to switch that off because you do not have the privacy, you do not have that self-defense of nobody knows how much money you have, where that money is, uh, where it's flowing to, all of that type of stuff, and it can't be stopped. So that's super important in terms of and privacy is what sort of drives that. And that in, and that is why like you should be using tools like, um, Samurai, coin joins and all of those things, buying peer to peer and do not use an exchange and KYC yourself to death because all of that stuff will be linked to your ID. And Luno is no different to NetBank in any way. Yep. Like if SARP decides, uh, Luno can't operate anymore they just stop them and all of your coins will be gone with yeah 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 no absolutely i mean they just they're just ned bank with a better onboarding ux and a little mm -hmm. casino in the back end but yeah. like, it's kind of at the end of the end of the day like it's going to be they're going to be able to shut them down and and the peer peer thing is so important for this um if you if you buy kyc um you bagging and tagging yourself and that information lives forever unless there's like a dramatic server failure somewhere, but like that information lives on servers distributed in multiple places. It's there. It's on record, whether it gets found or not is up for debate, but it can be used against you. 
Um, and this is not like pie in the sky. Like we saw in Canada, we saw, you know, the trucker protest um, where they literally shut down people's bank accounts, you know, and people who received donations, they shut down bank accounts. People who sent donations to truckers, they shut down their bank accounts and they called them domestic terrorists. This happened in Nigeria a few years ago when there was protests. Like this is not pie in the sky. This can and will happen. And it's a matter of time. And I mean, we've discussed the AfriForum thing um, quite a bit with various parties, but I mean, they have 200, call it 250,000 monthly rate paying members who, you know, that they've managed to accumulate in the last 15 years. Those are all coming through EFTs. Like there's, I'd be, you know, there's probably a handful of cash deposits, you know, but 99% of it's EFTs. Um, And that's a great risk for them. Like you say, um, the hyperinflation risk is one thing, um, but the the censorship resistant aspect of their money is is a far greater threat. Um, what they're facing, I think. Sorry, carry on. I think like people overplay. Well, I, I kind of want to call out Bitcoin. Is they overplay the inflation narrative part of this whole thing way too much? Like, if you if you are worried about inflation. Um, like Bitcoin is going to help you. Uh, uh, firstly, I don't think Bitcoin is an inflation age as it is today. Like, if you just look at it historically, Bitcoin trades essentially as a as a uh, Nasdaq stock, very risk on type thing. If there's any, any any ever problem, like globally, Bitcoin gets sold off. So anyone trying to think like Bitcoin is some sort of inflation age, I, I honestly think they're lying to themselves. And even, but surely, and the, even, surely the time sorry. the time frame there makes a difference, right? Like short term, I totally agree with you. It it it's a risk on asset, short term, not inflation. But but long term, it's been a massive inflation hedge. Um, but that's yeah. just because of the price has risen. Um, because yeah. that's just become a volatility discussion then more than an inflation discussion. Exactly. It's like, are we really protecting inflation? Because then Apple's stock is also inflation hedge, you know, like they've also risen essentially, which I mean, which is a valid um, argument. I mean, equities compared to houses are, yeah, yeah, they're all inflation. Equities are supposed to be inflation hedges, right? Over the long term, but definitely not the short term. Exactly. Um, But yeah, to sort of, so like, sorry, to bring it back to an inflation thing is like, um, you're right about this sort of time. And I don't even think when um, a Bitcoin standard gets adopted, that inflation is just magically going to go away. So why I say that is like, I don't think something like a full reserve banking system will ever exist. I don't think humans have that ability. It's not in human nature to not lend money and create more money you know, so let's say... Are you, are you suggesting humans are just scammers by nature? That's what we are. It's like, it's, there's no doubt about it. Like, history is full of scams. Like, it, yeah. basically all of them. I mean, like, Caesar was a scammer. We're all scammers. Like, we all inflate the money. But but even even not. I mean, if you look at inflation, it's like basically just... A lot of it is just credit uh, creation, right? Like... If you have a if you ever have a banking system or a bank or you're a bank and you say, listen, I'm going to give you guys this paper and I'm going to say it's backed by Bitcoin, you can go and use it and go and spend it if you want to do it. Uh, and you're a free person to decide: do you want to use that or not use it? You're a free per- business to decide if you want to accept it or not accept it. Like, it's not it's not like 
credit creation or fiat or money creation is going to go away when you're on a Bitcoin standard. I don't think that ever goes away. Um, so, sorry, to bring you back to like the, my main point is like inflation, Bitcoin as inflation has been overplayed so much. Like I think the censorship resistance, permissionless um, part of Bitcoin is so much more attractive, so much more um, useful um, and so much more necessary. Dude. If you think about like where we're going in, in, in the world in terms of like how cash is just disappearing. Um, for censorship resistance, like to, to, to do what we need to do to, um, to stop people who are trying to, to stop you from doing what you need to do, we do need some, a, something that cannot be stopped, cannot be, um, you know, taken away from you, essentially something that is permissionless, truly permissionless. Um, that is, in my opinion, the only thing stopping us from really eating the sort of dystopian, state bank system having like all the power in the world because if they if they essentially say no more cash no bitcoin all of your transactions are going to be um fully recorded everyone's going to know about it cbdc's if that if it becomes real that's that's a problem man like you like people like Forum and those people are just they're not going to exist they're not going to get off the ground like how are you going to operate if you're in any way different of a different mindset to to the ruling party. Yeah. And and like this is something we should really emphasize to people that CBDCs are the most dystopian future you could ever possibly imagine. Like it's like it's like Brave New World and, and 1984 combined. Like it's yeah. it means the government will be able to <clears throat> completely censor every single transaction you make before you're able to make it. They'll be able to like pick winners and losers. And if you are any way adversarial to the government just in terms of like your thoughts or your your speech, you'll be made destitute. You know, it doesn't matter how rich you were to start with, they'll just turn your wallet off and you'll have no money. And so having an option option like Bitcoin that you or cash that you can still trade with means that, you know, you can still have freedom of thought and we can still have a society with freedom. And obviously that generates the best type of society. Um so it is a massive, massive threat and and eighty percent of central banks around the world are working on C B D C projects. And that should tell you everything you need to know about central banks and what their main goal is here. Like, yeah. if they were not nefarious, they wouldn't be doing this. Like, there's no, there's no like argument you can make for a CBDC that is like it'll be good for people. It's only going to be bad. Like, it'll be weaponized against you so quickly. Yeah, it's like, I think, yeah, it's it's so natural though. It's like any state, what they try to do is see more, control more, measure more, all of that type of stuff. So I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read seen like a state. Um, but no. that it's it's a great book. Like it essentially, if you think about it, it's like like if you take surnames, surnames aren't really a thing. It was created by a state to sort of control where people are, you know, see who they are, where they're from, what they do, you know, increase the state's ability to see, to tax, to do whatever they need to do to control. Right? Yeah. This CBDCs. Uh, I mean, digital banking, digital money, um, all of that is just a, yes, all of that is just a natural extension of that, of the state trying to see as much as they can possibly see. And it's not, they're not trying to see just for, you know, for goodness sake, they they want to control. It's not, it's not there. I just want to 
you know, have a look, see what you're doing. I kind of want to make sure that what you're doing is in line with what I want you to be doing. And, and, this, and that is where privacy is so important because it, to bring it back to money now, money is so important in society, in everything that we do. Like imagine you do not have money. All of your money gets taken away now. That is essentially all your power, all of, all of what you can do to change things. Like I want to, I want to tell you, your ideas are going to change the world or not, or they will, but they're going to need some money to back them um, and to change things. You know, like it's, it's so important. And to, to lose your ability to spend money the way you want to spend money is, is a big, big loss for society in general. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's a, a, a good segue into the second topic I want to discuss, which is money as a technology. Um, and I mean, you wrote a nice critique on uh, Naval Harari's book *Sapiens*, which is on every uh, every uh, well-respected person's bookshelf at these days. As you walk into a house, you see *Sapiens* there, and everyone's like, "Oh, I read yeah. *Sapiens*." Um, the point he makes there, and uh, the quote is that money is just stories we tell ourselves in order to organize ourselves better. I'm paraphrasing it, but there, but but that's his idea of what what money is, and I think he misses the point of that money is a common, commonly independently agreed upon thing across time and space and culture. Um, yeah. and, and hard money beats out soft money. And, and you only have to look at, I would urge anyone to go and read Thomas, Thomas Sowell's work, um, Wealth, Poverty and Politics. It's a great book he wrote and he, he details in how in West Africa, um, in Ghana, the, they call it the Gold Coast. They have a huge amount of gold in, in, in Ivory Coast and Ghana. And um, the British arrived there and they saw all this gold that the Ghanaians had already been mining and using for like jewelry and, and collectibles, etc. And and that's one of the first stages of the money is like collectible, right? So the Ghanaians already realized that this this gold is, is quite valuable because it's so hard to get hold of, you know, and it's really hard to refine. But once we have it, it's durable, it lasts forever, it doesn't rust, all those good things. But so they'd already had it as a collectible, but it hadn't been monetized yet in their society. Um, but so... The British arrived and they were like, hey, we got these glass beads for you guys. Do you want to trade us some of your gold for these glass beads? And the Ghanaians were like, cool, we don't have glass. We haven't figured out how to make glass yet in, in, in Ghana. And uh, sure, we'll take a glass beads for our gold. And pretty soon the British arrived, like the next boat that arrived was full to the brim with glass beads because they're like word got out in London that they could trade glass beads for gold. So they basically just traded huge amounts of extremely cheap glass beads that were already being industrially manufactured in the UK for like absolute pennies for a huge amount of gold. And uh, hard money drove out soft money. Um, and the Ghanaians were like, cool, we got all these beads. But very quickly, they supply hyperinflated. They had trillions mm -hmm. of beads lying around. And these things very quickly became worth nothing. And then they realized they'd given up all their gold. Um, and at that point, glass beads was a harder money than gold was in Ghana because no one could make glass beads, but some people could mine gold. So it was, it was actually harder to make the beads and it was to make the gold. But as soon as a new supply arrived, that was it, tickets. So there, the hard money drove out the soft money. Um, but then, you know, as as people realized that the Ghanaians imported some technology from the, the, the British, they were like, oh shit, we can make our own glass beads now. And then it was over. Um, yeah. And this kind of, you know, repeats itself over and over. But I think... Harari, his his, I don't think he's a a honest actor. Um, I think he is a uh, trying to make arguments to justify globalism and and, and world government, essentially. 
to get down to the heart of it. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't know of a book that has done more damage to like human understanding and human knowledge than, okay, maybe like Das Kapital or something like that. I don't know. But the idea, I mean, that guy basically thought, okay, I'm going to, I have this idea where people tell each other stories to organize better. So I'm going to take all of history and I'm going to find ideas or data or whatever to back up my, like basically the scientific me method just in complete opposite direction. Like it's like totally not what you should be doing. Right. I'm gonna anyway, so the narrative and then cherry pick data. That's, 100%. That's exactly what he did. Um, so, um, so he created this whole idea for people that they think narrative is this massively important, um, thing, especially now, just in the context of money. And I, it, it couldn't be further from the truth, to be honest. Like if you look at the history of money from the beginning of time, it has always shared certain characteristics that you've mentioned now. It's like durability. Um, uh, fungibility, uh, uh, scarcity, all those types of stuff, uh, divisibility, all of those things, right? If you look at all of the things that have been used as, as money in history, they've all shared these sort of characteristics. So this idea that, you know, this is just some story we tell each other is like absolutely farcical because if, if that was true, we could have used anything that is a lot easier to use than gold or a lot easier to use than stones or whatever you want to shells or whatever you want to call it. Right. So that, that idea that money is technology and money has certain characteristics that it shares, um, is super important because it changes the whole framework of Bitcoin. You know, when, when people start arguing with you, yeah, but Bitcoin isn't backed by anything, Bitcoin isn't, uh, it's just some random, uh, data on a, or like uh, ones and zeros on a computer essentially right then you you can you can start making the argument that no actually money is a technology that's that shares certain characteristics so let's have this debate about money on money's terms right let's say let's compare your fiat or your gold and we compare it with bitcoin and we do do it stage by stage or, or, or characteristic by characteristic, you know, like scarcity, obviously super easy, only 21 million Bitcoin fiat. You can print out of thin air, uh, gold, obviously scarce, hard to get hold of, not as scarce as Bitcoin, uh, divisibility, all of those, all of these things. And then you can have an informed discussion about really what is good money. And I think Bitcoin is, I've sort of missed this point a little bit in that we argue about hard money versus gold and all of that type of stuff, but we don't, we don't refer to Bitcoin enough as, as being an actual technology because it really, really changes the argument. And then, and then when you start comparing it, it, you're, so I'm going to take this into an investment sort of perspective, right? So is then your argument and your thesis going forward is like, if, if money is a, a technology, which I think is quite easily proven, what is the best money? What, like, why, why use gold or fiat when you can use something like Bitcoin? And you start comparing them on each of these characteristics and you kind of quickly realize that Bitcoin is so, so far ahead or so much better on, on 
on almost every every characteristic or metric you want to use. And like when you start framing a conversation in that sense, it's very, very hard to argue against Bitcoin, essentially. Yeah, so some of the common arguments I often hear and from various different people. So like one of the close ally groups of, of Bitcoiners are gold bugs, right? So like we come from the same school of thoughts. Fiat is trash. You know, they're scamming us out of our wealth because they're just printing all this money. So the gold bugs are like, yeah, we agree on that. But I heard it again this past weekend. And they're like, yeah, but in a scenario, apocalypse scenario, you're not going to be able to buy, you know, food and bullets with your Bitcoin because the power is going to be out and there's going to be no internet. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Sure, I can make the argument for situations where you could use Bitcoin in that scenario and how you could transact offline and all those things. I can make all those arguments, but that's probably not going to fly with someone like this. I could also say that probably in that situation, you're speaking about a very fringe situation where gold is now, or silver specifically is the argument they use here because you know silver coins are worthless. Yeah. Um, in that specific scenario, sure, let's say silver wins there. But for everything else, <laughs> there's Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Like in our day-to-day life where the state is decaying around us, but we still have internet, we still have electricity because we've got generators and solar panels and Starlink, you know, we can still transact with the world. My goal doesn't help me. If I need to order uh, goods and services from somewhere in the rest of the world in order to keep running my business here, even though South Africa is falling apart, I the easiest way for me to pay is in Bitcoin. Like by orders of magnitude. Don't orders have to open a bank account. Yeah. Don't have to open a bank account, first off. Don't have to open a corporate bank account, second off. That's way harder than opening a personal bank account. Don't have to open a Forex account and then deal with paperwork like this to go pat in hand to sob, please, sir, can I send some money abroad? You know, like this, it's it's just so much easier. The transaction is done, 10 minutes, final, settled. Your goods are on their way the next day, you know? So it's far, far easier in that scenario. Um, And in the scenario of like, okay, cool, I want to go buy coffee with my my bitcoin okay that argument now is kind of moot because you can go and buy coffee with lightning um you can buy coffee from your luna and Velo account if you're buying a coffee at pick and pay most people aren't doing that but can be done you know you can buy your brandy and coke which yeah. is much better with lightning because yeah. you can go to pick and pay liquor and <laughs> so you know those those arguments don't really fly so much anymore but um the the thing that they that they miss here is that bitcoin is a very young technology still but we are in the digital age and things do we think things are going to become more digital or less digital you know like are we going to live in a more it's obviously going to be more connected um and why would you want to be using a technology that doesn't interface well and give you the same security guarantees and privacy guarantees and and custodian guarantees that bitcoin does in the digital age like what are the assets going to give you those those guarantees like nothing so yeah i mean doesn't fly with me yeah i mean like I mean, sorry, I'm just going to, even to go back to your, like, the world, like, we run out of power, there's no internet, right? Uh, there's going to be so much anar- anarchy and, you know, trouble. And, like, you can keep your gold, bro. I'm going to hold my guns and my ammo and my food. And if you, like, your gold's not going to be worth much to me anyway. Like, in that scenario, guns and ammo and food is going to be your, your, um, your trading there's not going to be much trading being done anyway so that that even in that scenario gold doesn't really get um not, carry much not for the first few weeks definitely not yeah. for the first few weeks while society is reorganizing itself in that in yeah. that collapse but spontaneous order is going to form very quickly and people are going to have to trade with each other very quickly because 
they're not going to want to be shooting their neighbors because those are the people who are going to be providing mutual security and, you know, community and all those things. So they're not going to be fighting with their neighbors and shooting their neighbors. Um, and, you know, people have, <laughs> solar panels are ubiquitous around this country already. Thanks God for load shedding because like they've made us more resilient now. So it's like a nice decentralized energy supply. I think solar panels on an industrial scale are, are but silly, but residential wise, great. Gives you like great, no other energy source can you be so decentralized, you know, for, for as cheap. And then Starlink connects to the internet, you know, mm. you've got censorship issues with Elon, but not mm. with the South African government. Um, so they can't, you know, get in the way of your Starlink connection. So very quickly, you can still transact with the rest of the world, which in that apocalypse scenario is going to be even more important because you're going to have to import stuff. Um, mm. Because locally, nothing's going to be manufactured anymore. So, Good luck if you've got 20 gold bars buried under your house. Now you've got to import all your food and your Land Cruiser supplies and stuff so you can mount your 50 cal on the back of your cruiser. Good luck paying if you don't have Bitcoin, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it, like, the apocalypse comes at you fast. Exactly. And I mean, but you can see now how quickly the conversation has changed to actually debating the merits of the technology, right? Now all of a sudden we're talking about, okay, but is, Bitcoin better or is gold better or is fiat better? At, and yes, you can argue different stages for each of these things, right? But like if you go through them one by one, characteristically wise, like it's it's almost like a no-brainer to just use Bitcoin. The only thing like you can argue for not using them and it's the argument it's not being used at the moment is that it's just not big enough yet. It's too early. Yeah. But the network effect is not big enough. Yeah, and, and as soon as that picks up, which it will, because it's, in my opinion, the superior technology, um, it, it, it will just get better and better. It's just easier to use Bitcoin now than it was five years ago. And, it's, and in five years' time, it's going to be easier still. And in 10 years' time, it's going to be easier still. And in 20 years' time, it's going to be, there's not going to be a lot of volatility anymore anyway, yeah. because your liquidity is going to be so deep and it's going to be the vicissitudes of, uh, the global economy is going to impact, uh, you know, Bitcoin, which is going to be like, you can't really, it's not going to have that much of an impact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the, the, one of the articles you wrote about Nicholas Taleb's black paper, right? So he's basically disowning Bitcoin because for those who don't know, Taleb used to be a big Bitcoiner and he wrote the foreword to the Bitcoin standard for safe's book, the first issue, um, uh, the first edition, and then him and Safe had a falling out. They're both from Lebanon. Uh, they mm. had a falling out. Um, <laughs> where, where, uh, Safe basically said he has man boobs. Um, and uh, what what did someone else call him? Uh, something about be fragile. Anyway, we'll come back to me. But um, the point that Taleb makes here is that he attacks Bitcoin, and you refuted a lot of his attacks, like point by point. And one of the attacks that he makes here is that, like, you know, people aren't using Bitcoin yet. Basically, the network's not big enough yet. This is, mm -hmm. He says that without really saying it, right? Yeah. Um, and people misunderstand exponential growth. Like, Bitcoin adoption is growing faster than any company can really realistically hope to grow. But the point is, Bitcoin adoption is growing globally. It's not growing locally. So, like, that growth seems slow to you living in your country. You're not seeing that much happening. But, like, you compare Bitcoin today to three years ago, to five years ago. Like the level of the depth that's been achieved there in like the services being built on it, in that new layers being built on top, but in like how it handles shocks to the system, um, how it handles attacks. It's like, it's just gets stronger and stronger. Um, cool. Yeah. 
What do you what do you think about Taleb's uh, about Taleb's blackpilling on on Bitcoin? Do you think he's going to come back, or do you think he's done? No, no, I don't know, man. That guy's too arrogant to like change his mind. I think. I mean, just imagine like being so arrogant that you actually call your paper a black paper in sort of a you know way to say white paper. And my my paper is the definitive uh, argument against it. Like, are you joking? And the worst thing is like all of these arguments he made has been like argued to death on like. Bitcoin dot org or whatever since 2011, like all of these points he's made has been like we've covered them already. So I kind of got frustrated because I love Taleb, like I love his books. Of I mean, his ideas are actually like incredible. I mean, the man's lost the plot a little bit over the last few years, but but his books and his ideas are are are, are great, you know. But yeah, um, COVID broke him though. COVID broke a lot of people. COVID broke Taleb. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like it was, yeah. it, it was immediate and like extra, you know, hardcore. Like it just broke completely. But yeah, like in, 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 in bigger terms, like, or in the theme of, of that, um, black paper of his, like it, the big mistakes he makes is essentially, uh, analyzing Bitcoin as it is today. And then, and then that, that's like a crazy argument, crazy way to argue about Bitcoin. Especially again, if you look at it at technology, it's going to improve. It, it gets better and better. It changes over time. To to make an argument about Bitcoin now and saying uh, nobody's using it is 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 like saying or like it's not a medium of exchange, right? It, that's like saying this this little kid who can't walk is a terrible human being because he can't walk it. Like, give it a few years. Let's talk then. Let's let's debate this thing on the merits of today, uh, and and not make arguments as if today is the end of days and this is the only way it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, th- I think he's just not arguing in good faith um, about it, or there's some other vested interest there. I mean, or maybe he just doesn't get it. Like you know, he's going to get Bitcoin at the price he deserves. Um, <laughs> <Exactly>. But yeah. <laughs> It doesn't quite. It doesn't quite make sense because, like, yeah, like you said, since two thousand and eleven, there was a bunch of Bitcoin nerds early on, you know, thinking out really long term about like all these things are gonna that are gonna happen to Bitcoin. So, if one is the mining difficulty, the the difficulty adjustment, which self regulates, and and this is one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin. It's like Satoshi figured out that you can't just have mining increase exponentially forever because it'll consume all of the earth's resources eventually because exponential growth right so like the the algorithm the difficulty algorithm every two weeks adjusts itself up or down depending on how many people are mining how much hash rates is in the in the in the going behind the network so that kind of self-regulates and eventually when the profitability of of bitcoin mining kind of flattens out where it's not financially viable to go and find stranded energy and convert it to bitcoin anymore less people are going to mine and you'll see like some stability happening and then mining is going to kind of plateau out, hash rate will plateau out. And that's the beauty of the system. And the one, the part that blows my mind when I think about it every time is that if uh, Bitcoin hash rate drops, difficulty will drop as well. And like let's say there's a nuclear war, all the miners get wiped out, um, it gets super easy. You can go back to one guy mining Bitcoin on his laptop, maintaining the entire chain, and then the whole thing can restart again from that one one laptop, one node, one miner, and then people can connect to it again and like it can spool back up again to be this monster, this beast <laughs> that consumes like ecto hashes. Um it's wild. <laughs> it's, it's it really is wild. Um no, yeah, I'm, amazing I'm, that Satoshi thought of this. 
I'm so blown away, but I, I think probably difficulty adjustment is one of the most beautiful things of the Bitcoin protocol. I, I, like the ele- the elegance of it is just it's incredible. I like like how you can think of something like that and so far in advance to understand that is quite incredible. Sorry, that's a bit of a sidebar. And, and, yeah, but why do you think he went for two weeks instead of like daily difficulty adjustments? Um, I, like, what yeah. what is this thing of that? Or like monthly? You know, like why did he go for two week? Uh, increments for yeah, I, would, I would think your argument would probably be you need enough time to sort of build a proper average and you don't want it to go too long so that the difficulty takes too long to adjust uh let's say there's a massive like your nuclear war ex- example that it takes a month for that adjustment to actually adjust essentially so i don't know how you get to two weeks from that argument but but that would be my like thought process or probably if you, if you think about it is you, you kind of want it not too short so that you can build an average, not too long so that it actually does adjust if anything actually happens. Yeah. So, so it could be, people can be nimble enough to like spool up and spool down miners and move them to different energy sources in yeah. like a realistic human time frame. Yeah. Um, you know, cause if it's every day, people could spoof the network. Um, yeah. you know, there could be attacks in the network that, that, you know, attack miners, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, beautiful. whatever. Um, <laughs> so, the other, the other, uh, topic that I wanted to get into was, um, memes and localism. So Bitcoiners have got the best memes, Bitcoin is built on memes and Richard Dawkins actually was the guy who came up with memes. Um, and interestingly enough. But uh, the meme is really like conveying a piece of information or an idea in as few words as possible with a picture. So like people should look at it and immediately be like, ha I get that. Typically it's quite funny, but it's yeah. going to like convey an idea in like as concisely as possible. Um, and like, like in your article that you wrote about memes and localism, like Bitcoin fixes this is a meme that we apply yeah. to everything. And like, it might not always be, super applicable but people understand the concept um rather than being like because there's only 21 million bitcoins that can ever be created and no more can be created with a downward difficulty adjustment or the difficulty adjustment self regulates and like a halving cycle of four years and lowering inflation rate bitcoin fixes this you know like that's what's going to be fiat currency you know so like that's a super super powerful tool that bitcoin has obviously have used really really well um and it's changed like society you know memes are not yeah. a thing 10 years ago um yeah. and now they are and so localism the point you make in this article is the next kind of thing that we need to focus on to meme into existence specifically in south africa um because there's just ripe for the taking the memes are like sitting right there like the anc is so useless they're so yeah. incompetent like there's the there's like potholes in like one of the arguments you make like there's potholes in the road um you could just be like localism fixes this or secession yeah. fixes this or like yeah. whatever self-determination fixes this. pick a pick a topic there but like yeah. it's so easy for people to be see like an anc poster and a pothole and you'd be like secession fixes this right like for, yeah. specifically for western cape secession we obviously both live in the western cape um and how we can uh fix our situation here by getting involved ourselves and this is where i think the uh, last week's episode where i uh, spoke to um Herman, him and I and a few other guys are, are working on this Bitcoin conference, Cape Town Bitcoin conference. And we're bringing together Afroforum, Sarkelicha, uh, Solidaritate, IRR, those guys 
all the parallel institutions with the Bitcoiners, and they all focused on localism. That's essentially what those what those guys are doing. It's like working on fixing things in your own community uh, areas that can be fixed. And uh, we want to bring the Bitcoiners into that to be like, okay, so fix the money, fix the world, but who's going to fix the potholes and who's going to build the roads? Well, it turns out it's going to be your, your, your local community organizations. Um, yeah, how do you think that those local... How do you think this plays out? Like how, how can localism kind of synergize with, with Bitcoin and, and how can we, we spool this thing up? Yeah, I think like um, one thing the independence movement can learn from Bitcoin is Bitcoin's ability to meme or their creativity in memeing. It's like if you look at a meme, it's for instance, for example, Bitcoin fixes this. It, it conveys some certain truth to it, but it's also like short, concise, and it's very shocking. Like when you say you come to me with this argument about inflation and privacy and all of that, and I say Bitcoin fixes this, you're immediately like, why, why, what do you mean? And it opens this door to an actual conversation. And, and it also allows for, once you kind of get that and you sort of have opened that door to feed that the whole time to go Bitcoin fixes, Bitcoin fixes, Bitcoin fixes. And then it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling thing where um, once you've planted this idea of Bitcoin fixes it into someone's head, they start seeing it everywhere. It's like you start hearing this conversation and people talk about, I don't know, whatever, inflation or something. And you're like, immediately you're like, Bitcoin, Bitcoin fixes this. Um, so it's super contagious and it works so well. Um, and I think what the independence movement should learn from that is how powerful that is essentially and how it can be used and how, how much it actually adds value to the movement, right? The independence movement, I mean, Bitcoin for me probably wins out with, with, without means because it's just such, like such a logical, such a, uh, you know, technology-wise, it's just the better option out there. I mean, I th I think that of Cape Independence, and it, it's such a logical, it's such a simple answer. I mean, simple answer, not maybe the right way to say it, but it's it, it feels like a logical right answer to give, right? Um, but it's a movement. It's a political movement. It's very much meat space, human beings, uh, people who don't care about or don't care about politics are now sort of going to have to start thinking about it. So you need to get people talking about it and you need to get them interested in it. And, and there's almost no better way if you look at like whatever Trump did in 2016 and just the way he made people talk, made people think he's the king of memes, right? If you start implementing that more consciously into the independent movement and really try and like hammer into people's head, how secession fixes this. They're going to start seeing it everywhere. So it's like load shedding. Secession fixes this. Once we start like actually uh, controlling our own energy, right? And we open up our, like, secession will be able to literally fix load shedding for us. Um, you know, brand uh, or the total debt in South Africa, whatever. Secession fixes this. It shouldn't be our problem. We, we are a strong economy growing and we are well governed and productive enough to, you know, carry our own debt, have our own currency, all of that. So all of these problems that 
look like a South African problem or is a South African problem, cessation fixes this, right? And it's so powerful if you think about it and you kind of get people to understand that that little short, concise message is so, going to be so easy and so like funny around a braai to just say secession fixes this or, or whatever meme you can come up with. I'm not the creative kind that's actually going to be the one producing the memes, but I'm sure we Cape or the Western Cape has some funny people. So to let them get out and try and use this stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. The one thing I think we should be careful of um, is that things may seem obvious, but everything is a narrative battle. And like, there's a lot of things that have happened in the last few years that have seemed super obvious and they haven't worked out the way that we would expect people, normal thinking people, obvious thinking people would, 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 you know, follow, you know, whatever. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. People have made ridiculous decisions over the last few years. Um, and things aren't always obvious. And I had a guy on the pod a few weeks ago, uh, who cared, um, speaking about nuclear energy and nuclear energy is a no brainer. Like, it is super energy dense. Um, you can provide a huge amount of baseload power. It produces, if you care about CO2, it produces zero CO2. Like no little Congolese children are mining lithium with their hands out of the ground. Like it, there's hardly any grift in it because there's no middlemen. Now with the new nuclear reactors, like you get these pebble bed reactors, you get the small modular reactors. You, you know, it's, it's crazy. The whole world should be running like more than 50% nuclear power. But we're building windmills, like super obvious. <laughs> what are we doing? But they have they have the power of narrative. The nuclear industry is tiny. Um, you know, the nuclear industry he was saying is like five hundred billion dollars. Like it's it's very small in the global sphere of things, and um, the it just doesn't have money to throw around for marketing campaigns. Whereas the environmental movement's got a lot of money, and the renewable energy movement now has a lot of money coming from government subsidies, and they employ very part of powerful narrative creators to spin narratives mm-hmm. for them. And this is why the power of the meme is so is so great because memes have overcome all of the money that has been thrown at them um, because they just cut a good meme like cuts right to the heart of the issue and people are like oh that's so obvious I get that now especially when there's a bit of humor added to it and that's why Bitcoin has been so the Bitcoin memes have been so good because they add a bit of a bit of humor to the mix there um, and a lot of COVID memes have been great as well um, but yeah that's what we we need to focus on and that's where someone like uh, the Cape Independence Ag- Advocacy Group, uh, CAG, they yeah. were on the part a few years back. Like they are advocating for Cape Independence. They need to employ a couple of, you know, three, four, five super based 21 year olds who are good at internet things to make memes all day and just yeah. be posting Cape Independence right. memes, right? That's the best way they can spend their money right now. Exactly. Um, I totally agree with you. And, and, and the thing about it, like when you talk about budgets, I mean, a meme costs nothing, right? That's what, that's so powerful. It's like a, it's like the decentralized or localist like dream because it costs you nothing. You can start competing with the biggest guys because you understand that the narrative is driven by these small little truths uh, that are catchy and people love that. And like the you're bang for your buck on a on a meme and and trying to get that out there is so much so much more than all your PR uh, budget marketing budget stuff because you can. But I, th- I think one thing that is very important is you have to have some sort of truth behind it. You can't just, yeah. you can't move, you know, anything into existence that shouldn't be, that shouldn't exist, right? For that, you need the big budget. For that, you need the renewable lifestyle. Okay? That's why the left can't meme. 
Exactly, exactly that. And that's why the left needs all the establishment money to, to exist, essentially. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's why you, like, with, so with a meme, is like, it has to have some sort of truth behind it. Like, you can't, um, yeah, like I said, you can't have something that isn't really a, true and just meme it into existence because some needs, someone needs to relate to it. It needs to be relatable. So, for for instance, the nuclear industry itself can can actually benefit from this, especially if they're in the sort of smaller, uh, smaller budget, less money to spend um, environment to get more bang for your buck. Get a meme gen like sort of generated. Get your truth out there because you have the truth behind you. Like I'm fully behind you on 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 nuclear. It's it's yeah. like the most obvious choice there could be. But and if you have that picture. Of a picture of Kuberg um, next to a picture of a bunch of wind turbines and be like, next to Kuberg, be like, zero whales killed this week. <laughs> <laughs> Some offshore wind in the background. Like, it's exactly. easy. <laughs> Super easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it will cost you nothing. It's, yeah. When you catch you, people are going to be like, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. That's so true. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that sparks a bigger conversation and, and you can throw as much money behind untrue things as you want to. Eventually, people are just going to look through it and go like, oh, it's not that, that's not true. Uh, really, yeah. I don't believe you anymore. Especially if you're exactly. hearing from this side, like, uh, you know, nuclear is good, no whales killed today, so go ahead. Yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah and, and, and it's on the localism thing, right? Like, so what we've been trying to build here in South Africa with our Bitcoin community is just pull in people like yourself, like, like people thinking about Bitcoin and thinking about society and bring them together, create a forum and feed, feed off each other, feed off ideas, and then build up a bunch of Bitcoin businesses or people who, who interact with, business, with Bitcoin to go and spend at those businesses. Right. So for example, um, there's an egg crisis in South Africa now again, because there's bird flu going around allegedly. I was in the UK a few months back. They had the egg crisis there. I did. It was crazy. I was walking around the shops and there were no eggs. And when there were eggs, they were rationing you. You could, they could be like six eggs, no more than six eggs. So, <laughs> so I've seen this before. It really sucks. But one of the guys in our, in our local Bitcoin community, he has started a free range chicken uh, egg farm. And he comes to my house twice a week and drops off eggs and I pay him Bitcoin only. He only accepts that. Yeah. So like having like those kind of small businesses, businesses pop up where you're like okay cool i know i can get my eggs from this guy i'm gonna pay him in bitcoin um it's probably he's not com competing with like rainbow chickens and those guys making like massive amounts of eggs that's not his play um it's about building localism and, and getting to know your farmer getting to know your suppliers like mm -hmm. building those relationships and that's what localism is all about and that's i think what the pushback against globalism is you don't have this, this faceless uh corporate entity that you're interfacing with that doesn't give a shit about you and that ultimately can just be uh controlled by the state because the bigger the business is we all saw through through covid with the with the ridiculous alcohol cigarette bans all of those chicken bans pie bans that big businesses will just cuck and they won't do they'll just be like yes government they'll do what you say whereas the small guy the guy who's smoking eggs out the back of his bucky and accepting bitcoin for it but he's not giving a shit about that like he'll sell you the eggs no matter what so that's the kind of thing that we try to, uh, I wouldn't say inspire, like we just see the utility of, you can't just hold Bitcoin as a, a store of value. You need to spend it as well for it to become the self-fulfilling prophecy of being a medium of exchange so that we can, we can spend Bitcoin. And it starts with accepting Bitcoin in your business um, and then interacting with other Bitcoiners who are like happy to spend and replace. You know, they're going to buy 
peer-to-peer every week for the for the groceries they're going to buy with Bitcoin. They're going to go pay for them in Bitcoin to support other Bitcoin mm-hmm. businesses. Um, and I think that's that's something that's we can contribute as Bitcoiners to the localism movement because there's a bunch of other people out there who've been working on this for a lot longer than we've even been thinking about it mm-hmm. on on local business, you know, um, and why it's so important. So yeah, I think that's that's definitely something in the meat space that can be done. Um, and I know your business accepts Bitcoin. Um, we'll get to that at the end. I'll, I'll tell people about what, what you do. But you guys accept uh, accept Bitcoin, which is fantastic. Um, but before we get into all of that, I want to e- finish off on a bit of a darker note, um, which is one of the articles you wrote. You came from 2050 and Bitcoin failed. Uh-huh. Um, and about just... We obviously are super excited about it and very pro Bitcoin, in case you haven't noticed. And, mm. But there is a world and a, a parallel universe where things go terribly. And as a cautionary tale, and I, I think it's really good that we keep that in mind of, of what can go wrong here. Um, like what happened with Ethereum, they just shifted to proof of stake. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you what do you think of the risks that we, we, we are facing here if we don't keep our wits about us? Yeah, like I think... I think Bitcoin goes two directions. It's either what we want to be free money, decentralized, freedom, fuck you money, right? The, what we really want. Um, or it goes super dystopian. Because Bitcoin, the way it's built, can be super dystopian. Like if you do not use Bitcoin correctly, there's no reason why Bitcoin with the protocol, and the, uh, sorry, the blockchain is so legible that if you don't use it correctly, it can be used against you uh, very quickly, right? Um, so if we do not keep our words about ourselves and actually focus on the things that are really, really important. So that's why I keep hammering on about like privacy and fungibility is because without privacy and fungibility, Bitcoin really, really goes to a dark place really quickly. Um, so I think that's something that uh, a lot of these number go up type guys, the like they just care about you know hard money and all uh, all that stuff, and they don't really care about. Um, Bitcoin ETF. The, hey, sorry. The Bitcoin ETF number go up. Yeah, Bitcoin ETF, like really, um, they don't. All they care about is like the Bitcoin they bought should be worth more tomorrow, and that's and then they'll sell it to someone. And go buy the house and live happily ever after or whatever. Um, if we don't like, we need to be careful about the narrative we build around Bitcoin. Like, you shouldn't, as a Bitcoiner, you should be super responsible about your onboarding of no coiners. Like, to tell a person to go through KYC uh, exchanges and not peer to peer is, in my opinion, a gross negligence. It's actually like terrible for the for Bitcoin in, in, in total and for society. Because I think eventually Bitcoin wins. It's The question now is which, which Bitcoin wins? And that is solely our responsibility is to go, anyone you onboard, you onboard them with, remember that if you KYC, that's going to be on your name forever. Here's a bit of my Bitcoin or let's go peer-to-peer. I can sort you out. It's a bit more effort, but it's the right way to do it. And then these people are, not on the system, and they kind of from the start understand how crucial it is to to use it correctly. So, like fungibility uh, for Bitcoin is so important because if if it loses that, it loses its 
uh, money characteristics. It's proper technological advantage that uh, it it has, and in that and the, in that we give up this sort of uh, future that we are all envisioning. I think Bitcoin is a certain future that we want to happen, and if we're not careful, uh, we can let that go. Uh, very quickly, but by caring too much about number go up and not about the correct way of using it. So, what do you mean practically by that, though? Are you talking about like how we run nodes and how we uh, maintain consensus? Like, how do we come to agreement on on the rules of Bitcoin? Like, how BIPs get adopted? All of those kind of things. Or what do you what do you mean by that? So, I would say like everything you use. To, to use Bitcoin is essentially a sort of uh, responsibility act, right? It's, it's Bitcoin gives you the opportunity to be your own bank. Now you need to use that properly is is basically to run your own node. You know, not everyone needs to run a, their own node, but everybody needs an uncle that can run a node that they understand that, that they trust. You should be that uncle or aunt or whatever. Um, use all the tools at your... Um, at your disposal for like coin joints in fungibility, all that to keep fungibility, to keep yourself private, all of that type of stuff. Use the practical tools in a self or a responsible manner to ensure that the future that we are building is actually a future that we want. So practically it means using the protocol correctly or not correctly, but uh, yeah, well, correctly, essentially. Yeah, I mean the protocol gives you gives you a lot of uh, tools to play with, right? And it's been co-opted by big has been no, it hasn't been co-opted. That's the wrong word. There's a risk that it gets co-opted by big yeah. centralized players like exchanges who get licensed by the government, which is exactly what's happened in South Africa now. You have to apply for a license to mm-hmm. interact with with you become a crypto service provider to sell Bitcoin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the risk that we're running here is that people interact solely with those service providers because they Bitcoin is too technical for them to interact with directly. And let's start with running a node. Like running a node sounds simple on paper. Um, but in South Africa, one of the biggest issues you face with running a node is load shedding. And <laughs> if you are running a, a, a Raspberry Pi node, load shedding happens all the time. That thing dies quickly like the hard drive does not like it the, the pie doesn't like it. it tries to restart all the time it's just and then the i just don't think that raspberry pies actually work very well for running bitcoin nodes on i just don't think they're powerful enough like my experience with one running umbral uh, and running uh, my node has been cuck like it's not good at all whereas my experience of running a bdc pay server on a on a virtual machine in the cloud seamless Great, you know. So, like, this yeah. is the thing: you can run a node on a on the cloud that you don't actually have to host your node at yourself at your own house with your own hardware. And I, there's a trade off there. I get that you are running the risk that your your cloud provider can be spying on you, um, or, or revoke access to your node or be spying on your node. Sure, that risk does exist, but it's it's all about trade offs. I think the risk there is lower than running your own node at home in South Africa, purely because you're going to get very very frustrated. You're going to spend five grand on your node. And then it's going to sit there like a white elephant because load shedding is going to kill it. Um, so that's a you know something to bear in mind. But you're right, like having someone that you know that can run a node on his own virtual machine, um, and then 
providing lightning invoices to people to be like, cool, you can you can reference my note. I'm going to charge you 50 sats a month. Nothing, literally nothing. But you've got to pay for it because otherwise you're not going to appreciate it, you know? Um, something along those lines. But with lightning, it, you can get very creative and you can build very cool things. If anyone has got a lightning node and has played about, around with Ellen Bits, that's cool shit, man. You can do some really cool stuff. They're like one of the one of the cool things uh, pre-built apps they got you can play around is you can connect your lightning nodes to your, Sp- your Spotify playlists and you can create a jukebox where people pay in sets to play tracks. So you can like create like a lightning jukebox is like one of the cool little things they do there. But the point with lightning is it's like programmable. So you can you can you can build all kinds of really cool things with and send tiny fractions of Bitcoin around. Um so yeah, being that Uncle Jim is super important. Um mm. and it's not just for like node access it's like having a seed backup kit so one of the things i i sell in my online store are these like uh, seed backup kits that you hammer your seed words onto like onto metal washers and you get a, a, a roll of washers with like 12 words on them and they hammer it on there but you've got to have the jig to make it you've got to have the the letter punch the number punch you've got to have the kit but if you're the uncle jim um and for those who don't know what uncle jim is you're the one person in the family everyone can rely on to get shit done with but in the bitcoin world so you know, you buy one of those, then you're the guy who makes your seed backups to your mates. They come to your house, you show them what's done, they bang them out. Cool, now their seeds are backed up on metal. Like, it, your, your Bitcoin is infinitely safer now. Um, I think that is that is super important. And that is how, maybe that's the answer here, is how we, we, we maintain Bitcoin culture. And the narrative is by having enough Uncle Jims in our, in our Bitcoin society, as it were. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're... you're... Uh, example that you used earlier about the the, the guy selling the eggs, right? That that is what you need to be in the Bitcoin world. Is you need to be the small guy because let's be honest, like most people will gravitate towards your exchanges and those type of things, and most of the capital will eventually go there. But what's beautiful about Bitcoin is that you can opt out of that, and you can use it with these people who actually understand it and do it the way you do it, and. And when shit hits the fan, they're probably the ones who are going to be, you know, have your back in in that situation. So it's like it's 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 a localist movement. It's, it's Bitcoin is such a like localist movement, uh, dressed up in globalist terms. I can't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it just espouses all of these localists, like build your community, be be responsible, type of stuff. But it 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 you know, dresses itself up in this get-rich-quick-scheme, global, easy thing, you know? It's a Trojan horse for freedom, man. Is what yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Come for number, go up, stay for the freedom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's, it's, it, it really is a great thing. Um, Connor, I think we're going to have to leave it there. We've already gone over an hour here. Um, before we go, though, uh, would you like to tell us a bit about your business and how people can pay you in Bitcoin for it? Yeah, man. Um, well, we... Uh, myself and a partner, we uh, own Thunder Brothers Car Wash, so we're happy to to wash your car, get it clean for in exchange for a few sets. Um, yeah, so welcome to come and drop in, wash your car, and pay us in Bitcoin. I think, yeah, uh, we basically use you can either pay in Lightning or Bitcoin. We give you the option. Um, be patient with our managers because not all of them are bitcoiners and some of them don't really understand what what it is they're doing um but they are there to help you and you should be able to get it done and how many locations have you guys got in the country 
Like I looked in the Bitcoin map and I just saw Thunder Brothers all over the country in South Africa. No, 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 no. We got we've we're in the Western Cape. I think I, that would have been my fault. I should have zoomed out. I should have zoomed out further. <laughs> and he's looking at the Western Cape. <laughs> no, so we're only in the Western Cape. I think we got twelve, twelve branches. Pro, I think at the end of next month, I think we're going to be fourteen. So yeah. yeah. So you should be able to, anywhere in the Western Cape, you should be able to wash your car and pay in Bitcoin for it. And hopefully soon in the rest of the country as well. Great, 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 great. You see, that's the kind of thing that like, it's such a good idea to charge in Bitcoin for this because it's a recurring business. Like people get their cars washed often and you go back to the same place once you've got to figure it out. Because washing yeah. your car is actually a bit of a hack. Like going yeah. and dropping it off and all that. Like it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a schlep. But if you find someone who's good, then you normally stick with them. Um, yeah. And then it's a nice repeat purchase. And from a company perspective, if only 1% of your client base pays you in Bitcoin, you can like, you don't have to sell that Bitcoin, you can just stack it, you know, because it's 1% of your revenue coming in. So it's perfect. Whereas if it was 100%, you'd have to sell them for dirty fiat to like pay for salaries, etc. I sold my stack to buy myself a new stacking machine is essentially what I, the way I think about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. exactly. Smart. Yeah. Um, and then your website, sevexity.com, S-E-V-E-X-I-T-Y.com, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I'd encourage yeah. people to go read it. Um, and then they can find you on Twitter as well, right? Yes, I am also at, at Sevexity. Yeah. Okay, cool. And are you on Nostra at all? No, I haven't tried it yet. I want to. I've actually downloaded it, but I haven't gotten on there yet. It's on my phone, but I haven't actually gotten on there yet. Yeah, like it's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean the Nostra thing is great because it's like a it's a whole new protocol for communication that's censorship resistant. Like that combined with Bitcoin, it's wild. Um, it really is going to be a very very powerful movement. But yeah, Cornad, once again, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a great discussion, um, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much, Ricky. Really appreciate it, and it was fun.